listening to The Chartographers. It is a music-loving podcast for music-loving people where we take every single album by a particular artist and we rank it worst to best. I'm your host, Evan, and I'm going to pre-apologize. A little bit under the weather right now, so my voice is a little bit scratchy, a little bit fun, a little bit Brit Daniel-y, and it's going to be great. Uh, but most importantly, though, season three, we've been doing nothing but, like, crazy and wonderful and beloved icons with rich discographies and so many, like, iconic moments. The group that we're doing today, I was having this debate with Tara a little bit earlier, might be the least influential group that we've ever done because they are a beloved group. They are a critically acclaimed group. They're an awesome, incredible indie rock band out of Texas. But you know what? They're not like... People don't reference them as like, this is the band that inspired me to get into music. It's not like that same thing. You don't hear their sounds anywhere. They're so distinctly them. They're like cake, but better. So really what we're going to do, <laughs> we're going to dive into the discography of an incredible band. We're talking about, that's right, the one, the only, a group that Metacritic has said is the most acclaimed band of the 2000s because the work they put out is so forking good. That's right, guys. We're talking about Spoon. Woo! Uh, the Divine Fits, if you're nasty. So Spoon, when you really get down to it, it's two guys. It is uh, frontman, singer-songwriter Britt Daniel, and it's also drummer and producer Jim Eno. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's other members that have come and go, but for the most part, those are the key figures that we're talking about here. And they started out with kind of this very much Pixies-inspired kind of mm -hmm. full frontal rock sound uh, that eventually they got signed to an uh, indie label, I believe it was Matador, back in the early days for Telefono, their debut album. And then later they wound up moving to the majors, moving to Electra for an album called A Series of Sneaks that did not sell very well at all. In fact, their A&R guy uh, basically left one day after four months of being signed to the band and putting out that album, and then the next week they were dropped, and they had very salty feelings about that. So they wound up still <laughs> recording and still building themselves up from scratch, and eventually they've kind of extended to this critical status of like nearly chart-topping, incredible, very not a lot of radio support, but just wildly beloved rock groups. They've been one of the most consistent rock groups, I think, is fair to say, over time. Just yeah. album after album, just mm -hmm. solid, but it, they change and they change yep. enough. So, so distinct. Guys, we're going to get into it. It's really, really great. So who are the people that are going to be raking their discography? Let me tell you. First off, there's me. I'm Evan Soddy. You might know me as the interviews editor over at Pop Matters. Maybe see my writing in Amazon and other places, but I hope at the end of the day, you know me in my scratchy voice as the host of this podcast, because I love this podcast. I love you. And if you love this podcast... <laughs> Then you might know the person sitting next to me. He's the co-creator of the podcast. Can't do it without him. The one, the only, Taryn O'Reilly in studio. What up, yo? You're the Jim Eno to my Brit Daniel. Aw, that's so sweet. Yeah, because we're both equally talented. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. Now, what was your familiarity level with Spoon going into this? Um, I knew the hits very well. Um, I had, like, I listened to... Uh, Kill the Moonlight and Gimme Fiction back in the early 2000s as they were happening. You know, I had Gaga Gaga Gaga. And, um, and then I kind of, you know, fell off the wagon a mm -hmm. little bit until, wagon. until Hot Thoughts last year when, mm -hmm. I, you know, I heard the lead single and was just like, oh, damn. And then it ended up, spoiler, being one of my favorite albums last year. So, um, But will it be number one? That's what we're here to find out. And trust us, Taryn and I could debate this for a while. We have a lot of similar and differing We've opinions on a lot of things. We've been debating it all week. <laughs> Even going into it. But the thing is, we can't do it alone. We never can. In fact, for this particular episode, we had to bring in our ringer. We had to bring in the guy. You know him. His nickname is the Chicago Casanova. He is beloved <laughs> all the way throughout. Former okay. newscaster. But most importantly, you probably know him from our super popular Sufjan Stevens episode in season two. He was the guest on there. He's back, baby. Chris Norton Studio. Chris in the house. Chris in the house. Hey, <laughs> hey, hey. I guess if you're Brit Daniel and you're Jimmy, you know that I'm the ever-changing uh, bassist. I'm like Josh Zarbo or something. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You're the Josh Zarbo of the group. The That's what no, exactly. Yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> who knows? Cool references for those who guys who know Spoon. So listen, uh, the great thing about their discography is that they have a lot of EPs. They have a lot of like stuff here and there, but their albumography, if I like saying that, is basically really straightforward. <laughs> we have, of course, their really gritty, rocky debut, Telefono, and we've debated about the pronunciation. We're pretty sure it's Telefono in 1996. No. 
What? Telefano? What are you thinking? Or, nah, no, I guess it's Telefono. Because you, I guess I was always you saying say Telefono. Yeah, what were you? What would you say? I don't. I don't know. It's Telefono. Telefono. <laughs> Telefono. Whatever you want to do. That's the one. 1996. There was their slightly more mature uh, major label album, A Series of Sneaks, 1998. There was their uh, more condensed style that was Girls Can Tell in 2001. There was their minimalist pop song effort, Kill the Moonlight, in 2002. There was their you know what pianos are fun album, Gimme Fiction, in 2005. <laughs> oh, there was God. the oh, okay, guess what? Grooves are also fun. Gaga 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 in 2007 minus one ga. Uh, there was their, hey, you know what's fun? Demos. <laughs> Transference in 2010. There was their very first effort that they did with uh, Dave Fridman called They Want My Soul in 2014. And then there was their much more, what if we actually sounded like Dave, Dave Fridman album, Hot Thoughts, in mm -hmm. 2017. So it's basically nine albums. That's pretty much yeah, it. A lot of variety in there, too. Yeah. Uh -huh. Each album has a very distinct oh, absolutely. flavor yeah. and yeah. feel and everything else like that. So uh, it's exciting. I, I mean, there's side projects here and there. There's, of course, Brit Daniel project the, Div the divine fits that he did uh between transference and they want my soul but like you know that's a side project we're not and gonna count EPs that these are like solid mm -hmm. but there's a diplo remix of don't you ever oh god it's like a everybody's done a remix of don't you ever i, I mean guess. they had a whole remix ep yeah so. yeah they exactly. did so Diplo's like, I'm Indie Rock too. All right, go back to the gym. So, uh, <laughs> anywho, guys, listen. Well, this was like sort of pre, not not pre-fame, but pre, pre like pre-massive success. Diplo, yeah, pre-top forty Diplo. He had done MIA's Paper Planes at that point, but not a ton else. Mm -hmm. He was pretty indie. Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about Diplo for a while, guys. We love, no, we love him. Let's so, move on. Okay. So in that case, we have nine albums, nine slots. For those who listen, you know we're going to rank it from worst to best. It's always a group debate. We're always excited about it. i got to be honest, this episode, I have an idea of kind of like the top four. Like, at least, I'm not sure what order they're going to go in, but like, it's pretty... i got a clear. top five in mind. Right, yeah. but every, there's a lot of other stuff. Like, I will be gladly listen to those debates. Yeah. But most importantly, though, Chris Fort, yeah. special guest, oh. Chicago Casanova. Uh, the bon Vivant is what you called me last year. I exactly. like that one. Okay, Bon Vivant. Hold on. <laughs> bon Whatever you want to go with, baby. Also, we heard your new single just now, so I was very excited about that. Chris oh, yeah, in the house. Single. Chris Fort in the house. EP on iTunes. <laughs> Guys, listen, uh, you are in the guest seat, so you get that very unenviable task. I mean, except in this case, I hope it's pretty obvious. Chris, nine plus. Number nine, what would you nominate as the Ooh. worst spoon album? You know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pull any shockers here. I think we all know what belongs here at number nine. Telefano, telefono, whatever you want to call it, it's the worst. <laughs> Alright. Okay. <clears throat> Their worst is not bad. Yeah. That's right. the one thing about yeah. this is a weird group to do, and I'm weird, I'm worried about the happy hour mini so when we talk about the worst song because there's a couple oddballs in there. Yeah. There's nothing where you're like, wow, this is garbage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like this 1996, uh, <laughs> very much a 90s rock album. Mm -hmm. It doesn't do anything super interesting with mm -hmm. that archetype, uh -huh. and yeah, that's about I think all that's, we have to say about it. Yeah. Honestly, like. You know, there are a couple songs on here that I kind of like. Like, I actually really like the closer, Plastic Mylar. Yes, that is actually like has, a genuine 90s rock song. Right. Yeah. Like, it has a solid guitar hook and, a, you know, the Brit Daniel vocal that you'll mm -hmm. come to expect from later in their career. And that's, like, really... On, like, I've listened to this mm -hmm. album four times this week, I think, and I can't remember what any of these yeah, songs are. Okay. They all just blend together. Yeah. It's, like, very okay. And there's a lot of, at the time, yeah. especially, they got a lot of praise for, like, having a Pixies influence. Yeah. You know, there was a lot of, like, you know, kind of... It's it's too much influence. I mean, it's just they're trying to sound like other bands. They're, they haven't found mm. their own sound yet. And, you know, just kind of like you were talking about that... that uh, and, you know, almost, almost like these labels, too, were pushing this sort of sound in that, like, post, you know, Big Bang grunge era, you know, that came out in the wake of Nirvana and everything. Everybody's looking for the next Nevermind. And, you know, they're just trying to shape that sound. And it just sounds too much like their influences and not enough like the, the Spoon sound that we all know now. Mm -hmm. But I do have a close... I was describing this for Taryn, and I don't think he remembers it. There's a, the second song of the album is called Not Turning Off, uh, the end of which has Brit Daniel adapting kind of a uh, motherly voice. Mm -hmm. Oh, please, it's just a machine. And it's like, oh, okay, we're trying out voices now, which is, like, great, but, like... Since he very rarely multitracks himself in like a prominent way, like having this weird kind of standalone ah, voice is like, okay, you're still figuring out what Spoon is. That's cool. You know, like I appreciated it, but genuinely, I'm because of I know how the other podcasts have gone this season. 
I don't need to talk about this album anymore. Yeah, I think we're good. We're good. We can go ahead. We can lock it in. Number nine, Telefono. Very easy, very nice, very good. Okay, cool. So in that case, sweet, sweet Taryn. Uh-huh. Uh, number eight, do you have a nomination in mind? I do. Okay. And, uh... Um, Hot thoughts? I'm... What? <laughs> Never saw it coming. Oh my god, this that's, is crazy. That's cute. Um, <laughs> it's, it is it is between two for me. Okay. Um, so I'm just gonna get the conversation started Ooh. Um, yeah. by throwing out one that maybe, maybe shouldn't go this low, but I would say it's transference. Ooh! And, Ooh. and I say it's Whoa. transference because... While I like where they took this sound, I don't necessarily think that the songs we get out of it are as... as, It's not as good as what I expect a Spoon album to be. Partially because so many of their other albums are so strong. Mm -hmm. Just have, like, such a slew of really great songs that then when when I'm looking on here, I just... I'm kind of left cold. You know, they use, they, they put his vocal takes through a lot of filters or maybe just recorded them on phones. I don't know. I mean, it very much sounds like demos. Mm-hmm. It does. Well, especially Goodnight Laura. Goodnight Laura is a shitty piano and a shitty recording and his vocal take. And, and that's it. You know what, that, that's my favorite song on the album. <laughs> it, it's shitty, don't get me wrong, but yeah. I like the little melody that goes kind of up and down, but that's the only redeeming part of that album for me. Well, and my big redeeming moment on this album is Mystery Zone, mm. track three, which is honestly up there in like maybe top five favorite spoon songs Mm -hmm. like it's really good it's very psychedelic there's a lot of like interweaving parts that just come in for a moment and i always appreciate an attention to detail you know trouble come running is like fun it's this nice little like rockabilly number and yeah yeah. I know, Evan, you you like Who Makes Your Money a lot, right? Yes, which, I really, really do. Which, which is kind of this know, weird, like, it's like it's just because it sounds so unlike anything they've ever done. I, mean, I think they pulled it off this little weird keyboard part, this thumbing bass is going through. And then these vocals, that even though he sang, Who Makes Your Money? Except the thing is that they say money is almost one syllable, so it almost sounds like Who Makes Your Mind, which adds a layer of, like, almost weirdness to it, which I really appreciate. I honestly even love Before Destruction, the opening song, because it kind of mm. has this, like, slight build-up. Then these keyboards come in, and I'm kind of reminded of, like, Barsuk Records' yeah. early fucking, like, Death Cab yeah. kind of thing. And then it just goes into dry guitar, and then the keys come back in again. Like, I like where it's going, but for the context for people who don't know, during I, there was an interview that Daniel did with uh, Mark Maron for WTF where he talked about how girls can tell, and I think a lot of people acknowledge that's kind of the start mm-hmm. of their real career. Yeah, it really is. Uh, but they, they talk about like they did good numbers, they outsold their previous two albums, including the major label, pretty Combined, readily. I yeah, think. yeah, exactly. And then Kill the Moonlight did like two times that, and then Give Me Fiction did like three times that. And then Gaga 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 wound yeah. up debuting at number four on the pop charts, like at like on the album charts, which mm-hmm. is like crazy. Like it was like no, I mean, that was number ten. Transference was number four, and then they led by Salt at number four. But still, they were doing like big big time numbers yep. at this point too. But apparently, the Gaga 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 tour kind of wore them out a little bit because like they were just touring. They had been kind of relentless on this like touring album cycle for a good long while, mm-hmm. so they felt a little bit burned out and frustrated creatively, and that's why I think. Transference kind of sounds like a rack ramshamble of an album as it is. There's like there's enough songs on here that I almost want to like. Mm-hmm. That like, cause for example, like written in reverse, these pounding yeah. like pianos like fighting. One. It's like yeah. pianos are fighting each other, you know. But it's like I appreciate it more. Like I want to like it. But like lyrically, it's so weird, and I don't. There's even nothing know. to connect to really with it, right? And yeah. I, you know, it, they make it a really stripped down, ugly sound that was deliberate. Uh-huh. But I don't think like you know they make it very bare bones. But it, there's not good bones in there. I don't <laughs> think the structure of the songs are really that great or interesting, right? And I mean, and we'll we'll talk about this a lot as the podcast goes on. But they've always had an element of simplicity to their best tracks, yeah. which is part of why they're so good and so striking is because there's really just like two or three instruments happening at once at the most and like they try to do that again here but it just doesn't it it sounds unfinished a lot of times mm-hmm. and again i, think I feel that's like it's a deliberate the, pose right yeah. it's a deliberate pose 
But the problem is that when you have like a more upbeat song that sounds unfinished, I'm going to be a lot less likely to go for it, which I think is part of why mm -hmm. it sounds like most of us agree. Yeah. The best moments on here are when they're a little more understated. Mm -hmm. And f because it's the understated moments that are so good, it just doesn't quite make as much of an impact as an album. Mm -hmm. And Got Nothing's just a gimme. That's just oh, like yeah. a, you know, bass-driven bass rock number that they yeah. have. On right, yeah. and I feel like there's a couple of those on here where I'm just like, yeah, you wrote like a solid little rock tune, but you didn't do what it needed to actually take it to that place of memorability. So what would you, what was the other album you were debating? A Series of Sneaks. Mm -hmm. yeah, I, had the, I I'm, I'm not gonna argue with the the placement. Those were my uh, battle for eight and seven as well. Mm -hmm. And again, like you mentioned, they they still defend a series of sneaks. They do, which yeah. I and which, they play songs off it. Yeah, which great because there are a couple. Again, there are a couple really solid songs on here. I really like Metal Detector. This yeah. very yeah. like under Metal again Detector understated. Yeah. It has like. Um, I think it has like whirring from an actual metal detector. At least that's the effect they're going mm -hmm, for. Mm -hmm. Is sort of like atmospherics, which I appreciate yep. that they're they're already going fully atmospheric this early in their career. Reservations this is such a banger for me. I right. like uh, car radio a lot. Yeah. Uh, gets in, like, gets out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. a minute and a half, right? Mm. Fun fact about metal detector: his girlfriend, his longtime girlfriend, which we were discussing earlier, Eleanor. That was the first spoon song she actually liked. She didn't like any of his other songs <laughs> until she heard metal detector. Yeah, and I thought. That was awesome. a really good song. Awesome. Thirty Gallon Tank is also a really interesting yeah. song because the chord progressions never repeat themselves. It's oh, a different like song all throughout. Happening? Yeah. Oh yeah. That uh, I didn't I didn't catch that. I knew I was intrigued by mm -hmm. the structure, but I couldn't quite tell why. So yeah. That's that's really cool. You also really like Quincy Punk episode. Yeah. It's yeah. a solid little punk number. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm you know that again. It doesn't do anything special. I think they're still definitely trying to figure out what Spoon is at yeah. this point. Oh, big time. And this album, there are some elements where you're like, yeah, that's yep. what Spoon is. Yeah. Un unlike it's Telefono. I, it feels like, well, tele Telefono might have Plastic Mylar. This one has, like, songs that, like, they still put into their sets because they feel like they're Spoon songs. Mm -hmm. It's like... Exactly. It's like, again, I feel like even with Girls Can Tell, I would say, to a degree, is not even, like fully formed what no. the Spoon aesthetic is. No. But I feel like it's like the it's the first Spoon album, but on this we have the first Spoon songs. Yeah. You know, like... That's which, a good way to put yeah, it. Yeah, that's a very good way to put it. You know, let's not forget the story behind the album itself. You know, they made it very sort of dry, like no sweetness attached to it at all. Mm -hmm. They were, of course, reluctant or, you know, very hesitant to sign with Elektra. And, of course, Ron Lafitte, their A&R guy... Um, made them all kinds of promises, and they get in the studio, and they're terribly disappointed. Ron's not answering their calls. They're trying to just, like, shove all the shitty studio sounds. They're trying to push on them out. You know, they're like, we don't like all this reverb. We don't like all these studio effects. So they try to make it very dry and all that, almost probably to a fault, I guess you could say. And then, of course, um, the album does not sell well at all. Uh, at all. And, yeah. of course, they get dropped from Elektra, you talked about earlier, like four, uh, months, four months after. And Spoon was, for all intents and purposes, done by that point. Um, it, Rick and uh, Britt went and uh, worked for uh, Citibank mm -hmm. in New York City after that and was like, yeah, Spoon's probably done forever. It totally failed at this whole uh, rock thing. And, uh, of course, they later went on to have success. And then they re-released this album and they wanted more songs. So what they did was... Um, they created these song titles, mm -hmm. um, Lafitte Don't Fail Me Now and The Agony of Lafitte, and then Britt wrote songs based off those titles. He didn't write songs and then title them later. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, he, he, he they, like, they, they really wanted to get back at this guy. They hated Ron Lafitte. Even to this day, in interviews, he just like slams the guy, slams Electra Records, um, and they go and they record these songs. Funny story, actually, about this, okay... Uh, Ron Lafitte, of course, quit Electra. you know, totally abandoned the band, yeah. whatever. He thought, whatever, I'm never going to hear from these guys again. Um, Ron Lafitte was trying to sign a band called The Faint, who was friends oh, with Spoon. The Faint! Oh, yeah. that's so funny. Yeah. And uh, they, they're, they're, they're sitting down. They're taking meetings with all these record executives and things like that. They have their meeting with Ron Lafitte, and the first thing they do when they sit down is they give him the reissued copy of a series of sneaks um, with these two tracks, and he just goes white. Um, when it happens, like, oh, what is this, you know? Well, those two tracks actually appeared as a two-song yep. single. Yeah. They did. At least on Saddle Creek, yep. which is what the Faint eventually signed to. Yep. 
Which is like a crazy little like yeah. a bit of coincidence. But they there. they added it on to the end uh, of the reissue once Spoon hit it uh, hit it big so to speak. Yeah. So yeah. Now this is all good. I'm more than happy to talk about transference and a series of speaks, but especially a series of sneaks right here. I would actually toss one other album into the conversation. Ooh, okay. Oh, of a lesser uh -oh. spoon fair. We really? might have we might have some like, controversy at, here. At number eight. I mean, just in the debate, a number. I'm pretty sure a series of sneaks I could pretty well see going a number eight. But like, and transference ain't gonna go very high for me. I no. mean, I'm fine with it going at seven. But I. But the thing is that there are more takeaways I have on transference than I do on they want my soul. What? I, I, what? Look, I look, I know you don't like They Want My Soul, but I utterly disagree. All right. Let's I'm get with Taryn on this one. I, yeah. You're trying to put They Want My Soul <laughs> down here at number, what, six? Is uh, that what you're no, trying to do? No, number eight is, well, actually, yes, if we put the other two. Should we oh, I'm not even going to discuss. I'm not even going to debate this. He's this not even not going to lower than six. Oh, Whew. I mean, y yeah, I, I, I definitely wouldn't put it lower than six, but I might put it at six. Like, be... Somebody's got to go there. Okay, well, let's, before anything else, can we at the very least agree a series of sneaks at number eight? Or is there debate there? I like yeah. what Taryn had uh, transference at eight. I originally had a series of sneaks at eight, but you know what? I agree with what uh, Taryn had to say. Okay. So I say uh, transference at eight, and maybe we go with a series of sneaks at seven. Do sure. we agree on that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, these, I don't care. <laughs> Since I think we're all about to pull the gloves off here and uh -huh. battle on They Want My Soul. Yeah, it would do who has the soul of They Want My Soul. Ha ha ha. Uh, so, and for the listeners at home, <laughs> number nine, te Telefono, number eight, Transference, number seven, a series of sneaks, number six, has to be They Want My Fucking Soul, guys. I'm sorry. Why, why do you hate it? I want to hear, like, what do you have against They Want My Soul? Because what are my takeaways on this goddamn album? Here's the biggest thing about this. The thing about transference, the thing about, uh, it's like, and even They Want My Soul, is I feel like they have these high points, which is, like, almost transcendent. When I listen to the grooves on Gaga 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 Gaga, this fully foreign, intricate details and so minimalist <laughs> you keep album. adding an extra ga. Anyway. I know. Gaga 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 Gaga. Gaga Gaga Five. Gaga Gaga. counting on your fingers if you have to. <laughs> so, but, like, it's We're one of the things... call it Gaga. Like, yeah, I like, <laughs> I like that. And then when you get to, like, the fully formed, like, keyboard-driven rock effort of Hot Thoughts, it's just like, oh my god, this is an ambient energy that I never knew that you guys even had. Like, you always had rock songs before, but sustained over a whole album with this color and this texture. Incredible. Like, there's, I love so many different things on here, but They Want My Soul sounds like a bunch of Spoon songs. I don't know what the identity of this album is, aside from a bunch of Spoon songs. And there's takeaways. I understand that. Like, New York Kiss, personally, it's probably, like, the closest sound to the Divine Fits project, but I also really enjoy it. Like, that was one of my biggest surprises this week, hearing mm -hmm. this kind of lush, kind of, like, sound that they have on a nice yeah. mid-tempo number, which is really, really cool. Uh, also, uh, Taryn pointed it out, and I started to grow onto it, that Let Me Be Mine is good. And, like, Night Night Rocks pretty good. I know a lot of people love Do You. I know a lot of people on Spotify fucking love Inside love Out. You. Oh, that's their number one, I yeah, think, Yeah, 27 million <laughs> streams. And I was like, oh my god. And I listen because, to it, and yeah. it's like, at three minutes, this would be a brilliant Spoon song, but at fucking five, really? Like, yeah, it goes love all on. The, like, the sonic instrumentation that, like, ensues around it. You know what? That, that song, and this is the same case with Do You, is they recorded it as, like, a basic Spoon song. You know, like, mm -hmm. uh, Inside Out was just a basic piano ballad. And, you know, like, Britt Daniel was like, you know what? No, we've done this. We're going to do something cooler. And it turns into this, like, just sonic masterpiece, in my opinion. And, of course, you know, the, the viewing public agrees, Evan. Okay, um, well, yeah. Like, you know, guess what? The viewing public put Transformers movies past 300 million of the US box office. So I'm a little Touché. bit careful about that. All right. The other thing Fair though, enough. we actually listened to the before uh, today we actually listened to the uh, song exploder about Inside Out. And it was really interesting because Jim Meena was talking about how Brit always comes in with these demos. It's mm -hmm. like how are we gonna do it? And they always want to do it as like a style. Like at the end of the day it's a spoon song like let's Elvis Costello this song. Or like let's yeah. Rolling Stones this yeah. song. Well and they'll try they'll like do they'll build up a whole song like as a band yeah. and then they'll do it again as a completely different band and then like take elements that they like mm -hmm. or and so when they came with the demo of Inside Out uh, Britt was like let's make it like Dr. Trace 2001 yeah that's it's, exactly what he said it's just like what? Let's add like this. Really? Yeah. Uh, it's especially funny drum because, because then they start playing the song and, and Jimmy knows like, and so I did a drum beat that I thought would be like Dr. Dre. And I was like, okay, I can sort of hear that. However, immediately the first synth that you added in, in like their quote unquote second demo, 
don't sound anything like anything Dre would have picked. Right, like, at all. I'm like, yeah, so you were like, let's do it like Dr. Dre, and then you picked these, like, reverb-heavy, like, Like, echo synths, yeah. And I think, so, while... I definitely appreciate this album more than Evan does, I think. I like Do You, even though the chorus is too simple. I really like Knock, Knock, Knock. I think Outlier is a really fun, oh, like, yeah. synthy. Yeah. It has a really fun groove to yeah. it. And then it just, like, it takes you on a journey. Like, really I does. feel like I'm watching, like, landscapes rush past <laughs> when I listen to that song. However, I feel like, for me, this is maybe the only Spoon album after Girls Can't Tell that doesn't totally sound like Spoon to me. It sounds like Spoon because it's Britt Daniels singing. Mm -hmm. But I think it sounds a whole lot like what every rock band was doing in 2014, which was the, like, very spacey, synth-heavy, like dark moments they recorded this album during the winter and you can really tell Mm -hmm. and so i it just it's it's not quite as like it's like your face with the spoonness as it should be yeah because i feel like so many of the great spoon albums are definitively spoon but also have a definitive arc or bent or like uniqueness to it and this and again at the end of the day they want my soul is a bunch of spoon songs like i don't i like the songs but i don't know what the identity of the album is right. i wouldn't say even girls can tell isn't i wouldn't say it's their strongest album i know mm-hmm. some people call it like a secret masterpiece but even then that has more of like a spoon vibe bent feel to it hmm. than this one does that's just where i well i think you can think of it as like a precursor to hot thoughts it's the same producer the same guy that did flaming lips and mm-hmm. mgmt i forget isn't jim what is it dave freeman dave freeman i jim right okay yeah uh and I, I think you can kind of... You think it's Jim Eno. Who produced all the other Dang albums. Dang it. Yeah. Ah. Um, I think you're you're seeing kind of a precursor to Hot Thoughts. You're starting to see right. those synths get yes, in yes, there, yes. but they haven't fully embraced it yet. Right. I think it's kind of Hot that Thoughts transition sounds album. more like a yeah. Friedman album. Yeah. Than right. They That's it. Yeah. Friedman's from Flaming Lips, right? Yeah. Yeah. Flaming so, Lips. like... Yeah. Th- right. This was an album that really grew on me. When it first came out, I'm like, oh, God, here's their reflector. Like, I don't want to have anything to do with it. That's a nice <laughs> It is totally their reflector. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Well, the right. That's the other thing is that it's all like it's all '80s indebted. Yeah. Which I, you know, it was back in a big way in the early 2010s. You which know? Yeah. I, I don't yeah. know. I guess like I just kind of thought Spoon specifically would be above that mm-hmm. and they'd keep making their. Yeah, I, I completely rock. wrote this album off when I first heard it, but this uh, this album grew on me so much in the last couple of weeks, and I really do uh, appreciate so much of what's on there. Do you? I just like grows on me every time I listen to it. I think. New York Kiss, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, was originally supposed to be part of Divine uh, Fits. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think. I so. mean, it sounds like a Divine Fits song. Yeah, so it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Do you have anything else, like any other big highlights from this, or is there something else you would put at number six instead? I would have gone with personally. I would have gone with Girls Can Tell because to me that is spoon like brewing. Um, it's them kind of coming into their own it's their comeback record in a way because they recorded it on the on their own and then had to shop it around uh yeah. nobody really wanted it and then all of a sudden merge like somebody at merge records like found it on their desk one day and said oh hey this is pretty good yeah we'll put this out completely revived their career but to me it's still you know like i i think you guys like it a little bit more than i do to me i still hear so much early spoon on it um there's some really killer tracks on there like everything hits at once and anything you Ugh. want are just like fantastic those are like pop masters they really are right. yeah. everything hits at once is like you could you could take that off of mm-hmm. girls can tell and put it basically anywhere in their discography and it would yep. fit it really that's everything a great way yeah like that that's like and that's honestly my biggest thing spoon. girls can tell might have a few lesser songs in there yeah. but they want my soul, in my personal opinion, doesn't have masterpieces the way Girls Can Tell does. Mm. Because genuinely, everything hits at once, anything you want, and especially fitted shirt, are like all-timers for true. Like, they're that just like... favorite song for the longest time that he ever wrote was yeah. fitted shirt. Yeah. I know, because I mean, it felt like he had a perspective. Yeah. He's talking about his, his dad, yeah. Exactly, his dad, and also, you know, he missed the times when he used to say, you know, ma'am and yes, sir. Like, it's this weirdly nostalgic kind of, like, bitter, but, like, you know, loving, and, like, mm-hmm. there's just so many elements going on. It, we're like, he himself, when he was writing that song, was a suit and tie guy yeah. going to Citibank, travel, you know, commuting into the city every day like a regular average Joe. So I think he had like 
you know, not only did he have his, the perspective of his dad, but he himself was like, this is me now, you know, and this isn't that bad, I remember yeah. him saying. Or, but he also remember talking about, like, how it's a song title, how he went to a store and it was trying to get a fitted shirt, but nothing came in his size. So, like, fitted shirts, nothing in my size, that's a song right there. Yeah. And I'm just like, yeah, that's, that's about right. He really, like, grew so much as a songwriter. I mean, we mm-hmm. look back at Telefano, and he just did not have his voice yet. He's, like, throwing F-bombs around. But, like, mm-hmm. girls can tell, you can start to feel him... Like of coming into his own as a songwriter, and yeah. he's just like transformed into this fantastic songwriter. And I think girls can tell is when you can first see the hints of it. You know, I think that uh, "Me and the Bean" uh, is Which really is a cover like, song. Actually, is it really? Yeah. I didn't know they that. have so like, many fucking cover songs secretly spread no throughout way. the discography. Don't you ever as a cover song? Uh, like it just like it blows my and the thing Wait, is that aren't those like two of the only ones though. Yeah, but like there's there highlight songs. Even though me and the bean, it sounds like a spoon song so effortlessly, especially the opening out. line, which is huh. "There's a girl in my yard and she's reading to me tarot cards. She don't know anything, <laughs> but she's beautiful to me." And it's just like, oh damn! Like it just it sounds so spoony, you know. And I just yeah. like it's a spoonerism. Uh, but, like, that's the thing. We're like, there are lesser moments on here. I know Take a Walk has kind of had a life of its own. Yeah. Uh, post this album. Like, a lot of people keep coming back to it. But, like, this book is a movie. Kind of this weirdly instrumental thing. I, I like this book as a movie. Yeah. Like, it was, it was actually one of my highlights off of here. It's just, it's a nice little guitar instrumental moment. Yeah. But... I do also think that it's not great when one of my favorite songs on your album is the instrumental. Mm-hmm. You know, the, what does that say about the point. vocal-driven yeah. songs that yeah, you're writing? Back to that on Hot Thoughts. Yeah, I but, mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. but yeah, uh, the, but like at the end of the day, in this debate, they want my soul is a good, consistent, mm-hmm. solid spoon album. Yeah, girls can tell is like their first coming into being Spoon, yeah. but there's enough masterpiece songs on here that it pushes it above it for me. That's my that's my argument. I'm convinced. Yeah? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. You guys convinced me. I, I I think after hearing the arguments, like when I think about They Want My Soul Now, I'm kind of like, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah like right. it's a, it, it can be a little bit scrappy in a way, and there's a lot more polish on They Want My Soul, but I like that scrappiness. I like hearing that excitement of coming into like, this yeah. is a great song. I, mean, I just like yeah. They Want My Soul because it's kind of a comeback album. And Transference, you talked about how they mm-hmm. were burned out afterwards, and they went well, like on a four-year hiatus, yeah. and yeah. they kind of came back with all this new, like, this, like, revived sort of, like, yeah, okay, we're going to do something a little bit different now. And so I kind of just love it from that perspective now, in hindsight, looking at that narrative arc. But, yeah, like, at the time, I was like, oh, God, here's Reflector, right? Here's another band I can throw in the trash yeah. heap. I will want to point out, though, that the last song on Girls Can Tell is Chicago at Night. Of course, last year we did uh, Sufjan Stevens, whose uh, big hit, of course, is Chicago. I think if I get invited back for season four, the rule has to be that whatever artist we cover has a Chicago song We're going to well. do the band Chicago. I was going to say, <laughs> well, because they also, he has a couple other lyrics that me- reference Chicago. Quite a few, Chicago. actually. Yeah. They must have liked touring here or something. I don't know. We could have done it. You're going to be here for me. Like this year, yeah. so that's well, like, well, Taryn, are you okay with They Want My Soul at six and Girls Can Tell at five? Uh, yes, that's oh, in fact yeah. what I nominated. Oh, right okay, now. perfect. All right, well, in that case, let's go ahead. Let's oh, no, you nominated They Want My Soul. Yeah. Well, whatever. Exactly. Well, hey, that's good. But guys, listen, uh, now that we have number nine, Telefono, number eight, Transference, number seven, A Series of Sneaks, number six, They Want My Soul, number five, Girls Can Tell, we are now down to the tough one. We're down to Kill the Moonlight. We're down to Gimme Fiction. We're down to Gaga. We're down to Hot Thoughts. Oh, God. In our top four. And this is what I was dreading. Ask me which oh, children Okay, I okay. I, I, unless someone else wants to be brave, I might have a thought to throw out there. Does anyone want to be brave? No, you, you, I, I, this, this for me is like, okay. I could go any way on this. I mean, I think yeah, I know what my number you, one okay. is. If, you have, if I, you have an inclination. I do have, yeah, I do have an inclination. Out there. One of these albums, it's one of the things where like, I had a weird relationship with this album. And honestly, one of the whole reasons that I do this podcast with Taryn is that I think one of the great things is that we point out things to each other that we wouldn't necessarily realize I've had a difficult relationship with this album in terms of Spoon, and like this week, Taryn's really shown me the highlights of it, and I have a lot more appreciation for it. At the end of the day, though, the other three are incredible to the point where at number four, and it you know breaks my heart, I've got to throw. Give me fiction. Oh, who? Okay. Oh, I gotta know who okay. out of Chris Ford. That was very. Okay. He's, he's right. He's like yeah. surprised, but yeah. okay. I thought and, you were going with Kill the Moonlight. That's why. I, that's where I thought oh, you were going. Oh, honey, no. Here's the okay. Here's the thing. Okay. So, uh, 
the gimme fiction I've always had weird because like as someone the first, my first introduction to Spoon was a buddy of mine Rick Mims uh, and one day we we're just talking about music he's like have you ever heard Spoon I'm like oh not really he's like oh my god fuck you I gotta burn you a CD right now so he went ahead and just burned me Kill the Moonlight just put this on I'm like okay I don't yeah. know what I was expecting that was my introduction to Spoon too was Kill the Moonlight right and I remember putting it on and I don't even remember what I thought of it but I'm just like there were some a couple bangle bangerang songs just came out yeah. of nowhere and just blew my That's goddamn mind. I'm it's like, really holy shit, this band is incredible. Really? And it's one of the things like I appreciated Kill the Moonlight at the time, and the more I've gone back to it, I've appreciated it all the more. So my next yeah. logical step was Gimme Gimme Fiction. I gotta get Great that. Album. And the thing is that Gimme Fiction doesn't have that same immediacy, that yeah. same pop punch. Because yeah. what I love about Kill yeah. the Moonlight is that it's basically a minimalist pop album. Yeah. They take pop like the best pop songs they've ever written and stripped as many as many instruments yep. as they could within reason. Mm-hmm. And it's incredible for that reason. Like it's a little bit frustrating, especially when you open with small stakes and it's just like it all you almost feel like there's gonna be a payoff but there never is. But those are the small stakes they're talking about. Yeah. Like it's, it works in different ways. So Gimme Fiction at first was just like, oh they're messing around with piano and it just didn't have the same immediacy. But Gimme Fiction, so at first I was just like, ah oh, man, this isn't kill the moonlight. Like I've always had that kind yeah. of bitterness towards it. You know, and then I hear Gaga, I hear Hot Thoughts, I'm like, oh my god, the band's back. And so Gimme Fiction I've always had difficult thing, but now that I've sat with it, and now especially that Terrence kind of like pointed out with me and especially bouncing ideas off it, like, this is some there's some great fucking songs yeah. on here. Same. Like while they want the thing is while they want my soul was like a solid you know, like a solid one. Yeah. While Gimme Fiction doesn't give me a full album experience, there's like six to eight songs yeah. on here that are yeah. like yeah. lifetime yeah. classics. It's consistently good My that. Mathematical Mind oh, is masterpiece. Is, yeah. Is, yeah, absolutely. It's a complete, mathematical a complete masterpiece. Yeah. And but the, the thing the thing about Gimme Fiction is that it is an incredible album. Absolutely. However, I definitely sort of feel the, I don't know if this was like a label decision or if they wanted to do this, but it's very much like our last album was so incredibly successful and well-received and there were so many great songs on there. We need to make sure that everyone stays entertained as they're putting this on. Hmm. So they front-loaded it. Mm-hmm. And and which yeah. is never a great thing when you see it because yeah, I would say tracks one through seven yeah. are like phenomenal. Yeah. You know, we talked about my mathematical mind, Sister Jack. It's uh-huh. really fun. A fun it's just song. Fucking, it's like it, a little brown song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's like... He doesn't like that song. Britt Daniel, not proud of that song, by Sister the way. Sister Jack? He does not like Sister so Jack. So weird. Yeah. But then also, like, I Summon You, like, mm, top three, yes. maybe? Like, Summon just... Summon you, my love. That's, I mean, that's where... <laughs> a spoon found themselves, but they also found the Beatles, and yeah. I feel like I Summon You is, like, his best iteration of a Paul McCartney moment. Like, it's Ooh. one of my favorite... Paul McCartney songs that isn't Paul McCartney. Mm-hmm. Also, and, I mean, that fucking Prince-style strut of I Turn My Camera On, which was like, you know, this just yeah. very small... Burm, 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 you know, it just which, builds and up. And I turn yeah. my camera I really like I Turn My Camera On, but I didn't really I didn't really explore this album as much because, you know, I was like, I like I Turn My Camera On, but it's my fourth or fifth favorite song on this record. Like, there yeah. are so many great things on this it's first great. half. And then, yeah, you the know, it's half. sort of... I can't even think of how Was It You goes I in my head either. right now. Merchants of Soul either. is like, fine. Right, Merchants yeah. of yeah. Soul is fine. They Never was... Got You is fine. I like The Infinite Pet, but it's it's just like a piano riff yeah. that I've it was okay. heard. Isn't it was that, kind of like a the ones, sloofy, it's kind of like bluesy, piano riff. right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, a it's sort of like, it's just like a blues song. I think but... it's on 500 Days of Summer, actually. It's like plays through that movie at some point. Oh, sure. But but still, it's like there's there's some really great songs on here, and then you can skip the last four tracks, which is not a great Sign. endorsement as far as <sighs> getting higher. In what did you guys game. think of the the Beast and Dragon Adored? I'm I enjoy it. Yeah, it's not like it's it's a really interesting song because it's the first song on the album, but I think it should be the last because it's kind of a summation of the whole album. He's talking about how he like had to get away from Austin and go to Galveston. Like, he's talking about, like, his songwriting process uh-huh. in this song. And then he also makes mention of uh, I Summon You and The Two Sides of Mr. Yeah. Valentine. 
Um, because I think the album was originally supposed to be called The Beast and Dragon Adored. Yeah. Um, real apocalyptic uh, over overtones there. Um, and uh, he ends up, like, they end up putting it first. And I don't know that it really belongs there because it's, you know, like, Spoon, like, they come out with, like, a, a bang every album, it feels like. You know what I mean? Like, Small Stakes just hits you. Don't Make Me a Target hits you. But, like, The Beast and Dragon Adore just kind of, like, plods in there a little bit. It's a very interesting song, but I don't believe that it belongs Right where you know it's it's situated, mm-hmm. but then again, but I mean, here's feels, the thing. It, I get that, but I would also say, what else would you open the album with? Oh, it's a good question. Because it, you, I don't think look, you should open with Mister Valentine. Like summon you maybe might work well. I don't know. Oh, that'd be a very interesting choice. He, here's the thing about Brit Daniel. He does believe that the impression of the album is made in the first two songs. You For know, sure. that's why first three songs almost. Yeah, yeah. And you know, that's why like he says that um, people think of "Kill the Moonlight" as minimalistic because it opens with small stakes, which is very stripped down. Well, and, and the way we get by. Yeah, which well, are all very yeah. Um, and so that's like he, he's he's trying to like make a statement whenever he opens a new album. And I think the Beasts and Dragon Adored was a very mm-hmm. interesting choice to put first. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, Beast and Dragon Adored almost feels like an overture mm-hmm. with sort of which sort of fits the album title. Give me fiction is like that to me. Then makes it feel like we're really getting a lot of stories here, vignettes, mm-hmm. almost mythological. Even though you know the lyrics aren't all that, but like infinite pet and I summon you and mm-hmm. Sister Jack. Like Ooh, there's yeah. a sort of there's a sort of air of of mysticism of fiction that's a good here. way to put it and yeah. that's I think part of why they wanted to lead with that that makes mm-hmm. me think of have you guys ever seen the movie The Village <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the M. Uh, Shyamalan movie yes actually I so have. whenever I see the album cover for Gimme Fiction I think of that totally, movie yeah, yeah, because yeah. they're wearing those red cloaks throughout yeah. the movie and yeah. I'm like that's just the village. Yeah. When I say give me fiction. <laughs> and it kind of goes along with what you're talking about, Taryn, where there's a lot of, like, mysticism. And you know what? It. There's also a twist ending, because those oh, last four songs, who the fuck cares? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he shoveled himself so bad on this album. Oh, right. All right well, well, I think we can... Are we in agreement? I yeah. Think we can. Yeah, agreement. Oh, yeah. That's a tough so one. Good. I'm so glad so I didn't good. have to make that call. Oh. I'm so glad I didn't have to make that exactly. call. Well, now well, you have to make the next one. I do? Maybe. Number three. Number three. Kill the Moonlight Gaga. Hot thoughts. What do you got? Oh my god, I know I'm gonna make enemies here. You know why? Because I know what you guys... It's, it's fine. Sentimental, you know, I'm gonna just get booted, and, you know, season four, I'm just gonna have to listen from home. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, Please do, S- Stitcher, iTunes. I'm gonna, I'm gonna nominate Kill the Moonlight. Here's the thing. So, literally, while we were having that last discussion, I was looking at the track list. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the things where, like, here's the thing about Kill the Moonlight. Without question... Mm-hmm. It is my favorite Spoon album. Okay. In the course of this debate, when I'm looking at the track list for the other two, I'm like, man, this Kill the Moonlight almost has the same problem Gimme Fiction does, in which, like, you gotta feel it, like, back to the life. Like, there's some lesser songs mm-hmm. on the back half. And it destroys me. It destroys me because so many of the other songs on here mm-hmm. are my favorite Spoon songs ever. Some of my favorite s- songs of this decade some of my favorite songs, like, just of all time. Like, mm-hmm. that's how good this album is. Like, Small Stakes is great. Something to look forward to was that thing that first hooked me. When I looked up this track list today, it was co-written by Miles Zaniga, who is the singer-songwriter of the band Fastball, which is, like, kind of, like, is known for, like, weird, catchy, hooky kind of things. I actually have I'm a little bit of a Fastball stand, so I was just like, oh, shit, that's amazing. But then you have, like, the the beatbox, the ooh, ah, of Stay Don't Go, Jonathan Fisk, Paper mm-hmm. Tiger. Like, it is such a fucking astonishing half, the first yeah. half of an album. It really Can I is. tell you about my moment with Jonathan Fisk? What was your moment with Jonathan Fisk? I mean, it wasn't, it's not that exciting of a story, but it was just like, you know, I had listened to this album a couple times, and then when it came to the moment where I think I was on shuffle and Jonathan Fisk came up on its own, and I just kind of like grabbed my desk for a second and was like, what is this? Like, it just... And I especially love... Like, like, Jonathan Fisk is the actual name of his actual childhood bully who then became a fan of the band and, like, went to all of their shows and got this song written about, like, how he used to beat the shit out of Britt Daniels. And it's like, there's... I, I, I really like it, I think, because it's about... It's a... It's got, you know, these really aggressive guitars, mm-hmm. but it's not really an 
angry song. It's about violence, but it's sort of like written and performed from a place where they've already like reconciled reconciled with each other. And so I just, I love that there's like, you can, you can hear that in it, that it's like Jonathan Fisk speaks with his fists, but it's like, you can, you can hear the aggression, I think in part because, uh, I believe it was Mike McCarthy who produced it. Maybe I'm butchering that name like I did earlier. Like him with Jimmy. He, uh, he kept demanding that they play that song, recording it over and over. And he wasn't like, he kept recording over their last take. And like, that's why you hear, I like it at the beginning because that's Mike saying, yeah, this is going to be a good take. And they're playing with so much aggression because they're just literally getting so pissed off at Mike. They're just like, all right, Jonathan. You, know what I mean? like, <laughs> you can kind of feel that like irritation in there when you listen to it. But, but like, and the other thing about this album for me, and the part of the reason why I like that kind of like eight nine, like all the pretty girls go to the city, that like kind of like good songs, but not like incredible stretch near the end, mm-hmm. is that it causes with uh, yes. Vittorio. E. Oh god. And that's like that song is one of my all-time favorites yes. because it's it does the yes. purple rain effect. The lyrics are about fucking nothing. Nothing at all. Yeah. I went to the river and the river, river was long. I want you to stay. Don't I want, want you to go. Yeah, exactly. It's one of the things where like it's kind of like generic, yeah. but it's just given infused yes. with so much emotion and those fucking and it has good pianos that come in and wash like, over the, and those the, back vocals. The yes. classic early two thousands indie rock build yeah. is what that song is, and you know they must have been one of the earliest ones to do it because this is still two thousand two. Yeah, it's like the only thing Arcade Fire knew how to do on a funeral <laughs> funeral, and they do it so well. But still, like, Vittorio E is, like, oh, it starts God, and yeah. it's the same couplets every time and it's just, it's piano and then they add the, like, second guitar fuzz song, and then, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, great. it's just great. It's, it's phenomenal. And, you know, notice that Kill the Moonlight, too, like, there's a good gap between most of their records, but Kill the Moonlight came out right after Girls Can Tell because they realized with Girls Can Tell that they were onto something. Yeah. And they were kind of, like, finding themselves, so they rushed back in the studio and they said, they said like, let's capture this. And not only did they capture it, but they, they improved on it. Sure. We haven't even talked yeah. about The Way They Get By, which was yeah. my first introduction to Spoon. I, that was the very first song I ever heard. I actually named a couple uh, Facebook albums after The Way We Get By back in college because yeah. it was like, yeah, the way we got now when I listen to it though, I'm kind of like, this isn't so much like a yeah, we party to get by. This is kind of like I have a dependent toxic relationship. It's kind of sad yeah, in its for own sure. way. For sure. And I especially like the way that small stakes plays into the way yeah, we get yeah, by yeah. because they're both they're both pretty um simple from a production standpoint. You know, it's just his vocal take, it's there are no harmonies, it's very dry, and then it's just like the synth pad that they chose or on the way we get by it's an actual piano but yeah it's still just like it's that's why everyone thinks that this album is so stripped down even though as we've talked about some of the other songs are a bit more yeah. complicated and because even like you think about state on go and it has like, ooh, ah, ooh, mm-hmm. and then that yeah. dry guitar line but then later on it has that little synth line that comes with that you know like yeah. it has yeah. like, like, nice little elements that build up to it like they embell they had the little fine details the things yeah. that you remember back they then, really you know do. He's, you know, Jimino's the guy, Emmanuel Denim Cristo of uh, fucking Spoon. <laughs> yeah, so, sure. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. So, like, it's one of the things where, like, I love the sound profoundly. Yes. It is unmistakably my favorite Spoon album. Looking at it, looking on a track, the feeling I get out of it is so profound that, like, I would want to fight for it, but looking at the track list on a track-by-track basis, guess the other albums, yeah. I am at peace with the fact oh, that good. it might go at number three. But, Taryn... <sighs> Would you have nominated Kill the Moonlight so, here? So, I I, um, may have, based on the discussion that we've had, honestly, but my other nomination for number three... Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. ...would actually be... Gaga Gaga. No! What is going on here? Oh! So, that's... Look at the track listing. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it. Um... It has it has multiple of undoubtedly undoubtedly their best songs, possibly Turn, like some of the best the best indie rock songs ever. Yeah, like they've they accomplished that on Gaga Gaga Gaga. Like 
I mean, obviously, the underdog, it's talked about a lot. It's, it's arguably their biggest hit as far as, like, pop culture yep. exposure Tom is It was concerned. in Spider-Man Homecoming. I mean, even, <laughs> and even everything else. That, I, you know, I love, they brought in an outside producer. Who was it just for this one song? Uh, that, that was John Breon for yeah, the underdog. John yeah. goddamn Breon. Um, I interviewed him You know, once. and like the horn part is iconic. There's the yeah, the mariachi. But then, you know what? Um, even better is the horn part on fucking uh, "You Got Your Cherry Bomb." Well, burn, yeah. Burn, so burn, you got burn, you got your burn. cherry bomb is like blue eyed soul Motown. I mean, like uh, seriously, like maybe in my top hundred favorite songs ever. Yeah, you got your cherry oh, bomb. I love you got your cherry and, bomb. But I think it's very fascinating. Again. Uh, production choices are always so interesting to me. Yeah. The saxophones are only in one ear, and I don't yeah. understand why you would put something that's such an integral part of the sonics of the song uh-huh. and the momentum of it in a single track, and then the other the other ear gets like a glockenspiel, which just, <laughs> it's not the same, you guys. And, like, Don't You Ever is iconic. Dun, There's all the, like, chatting at dun. the beginning, oh, yeah. which is, like, dab, really... Dab. Yeah. yeah, it's like, yeah, I like this. Roll they it back. that in. Yeah. yeah, like, I, I, it sets the tone for the song well. Oh, no, I, what else I was going to say about the underdog is that after he's like, uh, that's why you will not survive, and there's the, there's like the dun clap, dun clap. I can't sing it well, but yeah. you know what I'm talking about. It almost yeah. feels dick, like dick, dick, like dick, Simon dick, and Garfunkel, dick, dick, like, that's a good way to put it. like they do on Cecilia yeah. almost. You know what's so funny is talking about it being the, their biggest single is that Britt Daniel did not think very much of this, and he almost he, he wanted to leave it off the album because he didn't think wow. it fit. You know, it's wow. kind of like an outlier in the. If you really listen to the album, the yeah. Underdog is kind of like an outlier on the album. Um, sure. But then the record company came in and was like, not only is this going on the album, but this is going to be a single. And he's like, yeah. really? What? But also, I love how Don't Make Me a Target is like such a like solid spoon opener and then they go right into one of the weirdest songs yes. I've had the Ghost of You Lingers it's such a weird song to put number two right like Ghost of You Lingers is a third act song yeah sure yeah and like, the... even if you don't close the album with it it should be like eight nine somewhere in there yeah it's definitely a b-side but it's weird how it's also probably the most challenging song on this record legitimately because like Literally, and the biggest thing about this, when I look at this, the only real weak spot on this album for me is, like, Finer Feelings. Like really? that. Oh, I like that I actually, one. I, like, I enjoy Finer Feelings. Because Black Like Me is, like, a fascinating little... Oh, we're going to talk about Black Like Me. Black Like Me, you'll get to it in a moment, apparently. But yeah. I like it because it builds much in the similar way as Vittorio E. It uh-huh. starts very quiet, yep. and it does the indie rock build, yeah. which it's almost always going to be effective. It's hard to fuck up, mm-hmm. and they don't, so great. Um, my weak moments out here are actually right in the middle. Uh, Rhythm, Rhythm and Soul is a song. Eddie's Raga is even more of just, like, a song. They're, they Jam. feel like genre exercises that didn't really get flushed out. Like, they, they sound like just, you know, a basic rock song that any band could have recorded. Um... And that's, I honestly, I don't love Don't Make Me a Target either. It does, I don't like, think it's going to be anyone's all-time Very deliberately about George Bush. I mean, the, the lyrics are just, like, you just look at them uh, and you're like, oh, jeez. Sure. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. Fair enough. But so, I mean, again, fucking love this album. We're talking about number three at this point. Oh. But I just don't, I don't think that it has the, so, the same overall really? oomph as... The other two killed the moonlight. So, so wait a second, Taryn. Taryn. What? Taryn, is this, does this mean that your number one all-time favorite Spoon album is motherfucking 2017's Hot Thoughts? Um, yeah, I might be saying that. I could, I could possibly be saying that. So do we have a debate here for the top three? I think we have an open debate for the top three. All right, cool. It might be an outvoting system here, what happens Ooh, here, but okay. let's, well, you know, well, we've are been we done with Gaga Gaga Gaga? Have you talking guys... about it? I could talk about Gaga Gaga ga, ga, ga for like a whole hour. Well, we could make a whole podcast about. Do you ga, have ga, more ga, to ga, say? And as far as this argument is concerned, first of all, I love like the you know like okay, obviously this is their most radio friendly album. I think Evan talked about how it hit like top four and like the Billboard top one hundred, top ten, yeah, yeah. Um, but at the same time, it still has that kind of raggedness to it. Like they leave a whole lot of like like talking, you know, that like kind of filtered into the the song like recordings yeah. and things like that 
Also, I, I mean, we didn't even mention how, like, all the... Well, not all of them, but, like, several of the songs are misspelled. Don't you ever... Mm-hmm. You've got your cherry Rhythm bomb and soul. Yeah. Rhythm and Soul was just, like, a calculate... Like, they didn't... They were just like, oh, wait, that's a typo. And they're like, well, fuck it, just leave it. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, it, it was... It looked so much like a typo that I corrected it in my iTunes <laughs> before realizing that, no, they meant it like that. But we haven't even really paid a whole lot of respect to Black Like Me... Which is my favorite Spoon song okay. of all time. Wow. Of all time. Um, just unbelievable song, okay? Uh, first of all, like, you were talking about how it has that classic new opening. To me, it sounds like a day in the life by the Beatles, where you got the guitar <laughs> and the piano side by side. That, like, sort of shy piano that's kind of, like, creeping in there. Yeah. And then he has this, like, real simple song, and everyone's like, what's Dorian's and all that? And it's a real place in Portland, by the way, where he got his boots fixed, um, just to settle that debate. Britt Daniels, um, a boots man, let's be he real. He is a boots man. Um, but to me, like, it represents some of his finest songwriting. In that, like, there's that one line in there that just blows my mind every time I hear it, which is, uh, uh, black tar in summer will do a job on your soul. And it has a dual meaning. Like, it means, of course, like, like the red hot pavement in the summer was going to do a job on your shoe sole. Okay, but he's also talking about black tar heroin and how it's going to, like, really mess up your spiritual soul, too. Mm -hmm. And I think that that, like, to me, like, just encompasses, like, the genius of his songwriting and the fact that it's it's the last song and it seeks so well from finer feelings um, just, to me, like, represents, like, not only is this a very pop-friendly, very radio-friendly album, but it still represents some of his best songwriting to date. And that's why this is the number one for me, so... Um, I think we have a little bit of a disagreement. Well, let's, but at the same time, though, here's the other thing, though. Hot Thoughts, that's, when I first heard the song Hot Thoughts, I was like, oh, fuck. Because I kind (laughs) of checked, I kind of checked out for, like, Transference, I enjoyed, I pretty much checked out for They Want My Soul, I really only listened to it in full this week. Yeah. And, man, Hot Thoughts fucking brought me back hard. Yeah, yes. It was, like, such a blazing, a building rock number. And I feel like that's true of a lot of people. Like, honestly, I didn't hear a lot about Transference and They Want My Soul. Like, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm sure Spoon was around, but, like, (laughs) I, I feel like all of a sudden with Hot Thoughts, I saw promotion mm-hmm. and i saw like friends well, on facebook talking yeah. about spoon which had never happened before it's yeah. like they they were suddenly like thrust back into social consciousness because of this album and the immediate impact that the lead single had but then i mean the rest of this album though it's like yeah. they've they've had indie rock they've always mixed like mid-tempo songs with up-tempo with ballads and for hot thoughts they just like i feel like they just went for it it's yeah, like a, they really it's did. like a site it's like a technicolor gut punch is what this is and it's just fucking <laughs> incredible do i have to talk you into it you know like it's just like full against the well, wall it slams it, you it doesn't it doesn't let up uh-huh. exactly like it just you know hot thoughts starts and it, it's like easing mm-hmm. you in with that yeah. s- that single like do, sort yeah. of grainy do, 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 synth tone do, do, do. and then it just immediately like as the first verse begins I love it when the like, guitars can no we have a groove you know oh, yeah. you hear him it's... like woo the after yeah. the first verse because yeah. they're just like really feeling this it has that like really staccato rhythm guitar after the chorus it just it it goes and then you get into whisper I'll listen to hear it which yes. is like like a stadium anthem Mm -hmm. like there's so many levels here this is like where i wish arcade fire would have been able to go with their career and they just lost the plot whereas like hot thoughts really honed in on like everything that you wanted the indie bands from the 2000s to take their sound into our more modern decade yeah and so like then then you have like first caress isn't a all-timer. All-time magnific- magnificent song, but it could be. I like, love that song. You know, I love I love the stupid little couplet about, like, coconut milk, coconut water. <laughs> you always used to tell me they're the same. That's just like, what? It's All, not really about anything. Man. 
It was a sleeper song when I first got the album, but man, Shotgun. Let oh, me yeah. Yes. I don't think they've ever had so much fun Shotgun. on a song before, because after the second chorus, then you have the little like honky-tonk piano come in, yeah. like playing against the guitar, and yeah. the bass well, is just rolling along. Yeah, the, 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 the bass is, the bass is rolling so much, it almost makes me think of, like, Eye of the Tiger. Yeah. Like, yeah that's a good way to put it, yeah. Um... And, it, I, the and thing, here's the thing. There are just so many great choruses on here, right. too. Exactly. Like, and the thing is, this album rocks so much, I almost forgive us being a fucking saxophone in the dark. It sounds like 80s softcore <laughs> porn music, but I, I love, love it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that I, I mean, love you do, it. You do love like, 80s softcore porn in general. For so, me, for me know, us is like the single boring moment on an really? otherwise like incredible album. I love the instrumental. Yeah. I also love... Um, can I sit next to you is like top five you? spoon songs. Mm-hmm. It's when when that when that synth line comes in after the first chorus where it's so minor key and it's like there's just so much tension. It's here. almost like kind of like Arabian, almost like the way yeah, it very. Comes, it's know? sort yeah. of a, it's a more Eastern scale. Yeah. Um, but there is, I mean, just like. Absolutely every moment on here I, I love. Even Pink Up, which is like yes. this six minute, like almost Radiohead style electronic experiment. It's very much Radiohead, yeah. Um, I just, well, it's just. I think phenomenal. it was actually literally on the guitar, guitar car right here before we got to the studio. We were listening to Goodnight Laura. And we, they were, we heard the opening piano chords, and Taryn was like, videotape, you know, like, oh, yeah, videotape. <laughs> it's it like, it almost exactly the same. I've done that like, a yeah. couple times this week where I'm like, yeah, you know, you didn't dress up this chord structure enough, so now I hear, yeah. like, four other songs. Yeah. But yeah. here's the thing. Hot Thoughts is a great rock album. Cool. I'm not going to deny that. There's no one denying that. But Gaga, for me is just an incredible spectrum of their abilities straight through. So, do I have this right? Am I am I pushing Gaga ga, ga, ga for one, Taryn pushing Hot Thoughts for number one, and you pushing Kill the Moonlight for one? Or are you, are you on my side here? I'm on your side, because it's one of the things... When you ask me in the streets, and you, I know you all will. In the streets. In the streets. <laughs> when you, when you pull me over and you shake me and grab me by the lapels of my jean jacket. Shake you down. Like, shake you down. You're going to be like, what's your favorite Spoon album? Whatever the podcast said. And I'm going to cry and be like, it's Kill the Moonlight. Because at the end of the day, it is Kill the Moonlight. In terms of this debate, in terms of what the best Spoon album is, though, the one where it's just like, if I only had one Spoon album in my entire discography, what would it be? I mean, at the end of the day, I might still say Kill the Moonlight, but also... I'm mainly doing that because the first half is impeccable. The yes. first half, really and then it has is. the best closer in their discography. So it's one of the things where it's like, I could forgive those couple other yeah. songs there. I could be like, don't worry about those as much. But, but at the end of the day, Gaga is just superior in terms of its yeah. sprawl, in terms of its scope, and, and in terms, yeah, of, what in terms it of its reach. Yeah. yeah, that's the biggest thing. So here's the thing. When Terrence says that Hot Thoughts is his favorite, and especially after this week, the fact that we have a 2017 album, the ninth album of their yes. career, in discussion yeah. in terms of their best work... And I think that's part of is why amazing. it's so impressive It really to me, is. ...is because, especially because the two before it were like, you know, good, but not blowing you away right. like they had during the 2000s. And so... The fact that in 2017, when they're however old they are now, that they can that now. they can come back with an album that hits this hard so consistently, and even like the ballads on it still have like attention to them. That's I mean I'm I'm just I'm so so happy for Spoon, and I can't wait to listen to what they will continue to put out. Like I I feel like. I will be watching their career a lot more closely now, just because. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait for the follow. They've oh proven that they they will continue to yeah. create like important, really great indie rock. Right. Yeah. So that being said, I'm willing to give a little bit of kill the moonlight. I think we can maybe agree. Number three, kill the moonlight. Yeah. Number two, hot thoughts. Number one, Gaga. Great. All right, into it. 
In that case, guys, let's go ahead and let us lock the motherfucker in. At number nine is Telefono. At number eight is Transference. At number seven is A Series of Sneaks. <laughs> At number six is They Want My Soul. At number five, it's Girls Can Tell. At number four, it's Gimme Fiction. At number three, it's Kill the Moonlight. At number two, it's Hot Thoughts. And at number one, it's the Don't You Ever EP, Diplo Remix, all the way. We love it. It's so great. <laughs> Kidding. It is God, God. It is incredible. Guys, we have a lot more to say, as you clearly know, because we have a Happy Hour Mini so right after this. Woo! In the meantime, though, and I say this every time because I love it when it happens, gah, 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 gah. find us on our fucking Facebook, guys. And please leave your ranking because we would love to comment and tell you how wrong you are. Tear you apart. But uh, rip you, <laughs> grab you by the lapels of your jean jacket. Uh, but also, I mean... If what you... is this jean jacket? <laughs> I've never seen you wear a jean, jean stole, jacket in my life. I stole it from Britt Daniel. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Great. Uh, but the thing is, uh, like, do that. And also, if you wouldn't mind us doing us a favor, if you could please rate us on the Stitcher and the iTunes and the SoundCloud, just because when you do ratings for things, uh, it helps visibility. Other people see it's great. And we've had some great discussions. And all you people on Reddit, you've been awesome as well. We really appreciate it. But most importantly, Chris Ford. Oh, thank you. Oh, guys, for being here. It was it was a privilege and an honor to come back. I feel like this is my victory lap a yeah. little bit. And so, like, and in fact, because in honor of Gaga Gaga making number one, we're going to rename this podcast four 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 four. So oh. uh, it's going to be a great, <laughs> great yeah. thing. Mm. Taryn, as always, yeah. This yeah. journey. This was great. I had a blast. Yeah, this has been a really fun week. So in that one. case, uh, please do us a favor. Keep on listening because you know that we'll be. See you in the happy hour. Many sub guys. Goodbye. He's back, baby. Chris Morton Studio. Chris in the house. Chris in the house. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs>